this week so you can catch up on last week's message. But we looked at the theme, be the best, be the best. And we were just kind of pressing into this idea of self-betterment, of renewal, of making ourselves more and more like Christ. And I read that verse from 2 Peter, I'll read it again, where he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. And the challenge I put was to pick one of those things, one area this year or maybe for the next three months to be working on in your own lives and then move on to to the next. Don't get bogged down or caught up in trying to be perfect in every one of those areas. It won't happen overnight. But we just want to press in so that we can be the best we can be. And so we looked at this idea of renewing our minds, renewing our hearts, renewing our purpose, and just really pressing into becoming the best version of ourselves that we could possibly be. And I believe that as we press into that idea, as we chase after God, as we seek first his kingdom, that not only will we, will we become the best versions of ourselves, we'll begin to give our best as well. We'll begin to give our best when it comes to our time and our energy and our resources and our finances. Being the best, it comes out of relationship with God. It comes out of walking closely with him on a daily basis because there's no way that we would be happy uh, giving him leftovers if we're truly walking in step with him. When we're walking with God, when we're living a life that honors God, when we're seeking first his kingdom, we naturally want to bless him. And we want to bless him with our best. And we're going to get into that a bit this morning. Because God deserves our best, doesn't he? Oh, I don't feel the conviction in the room this morning. God deserves our best. If you don't believe it now, I believe you will at the end of this message. You know, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Not with some of it. Not with part of it, not with what's left over after you've poured into your family and your friends and your work and all of that stuff that you've got to do, but with all of you, with everything that you have got, you should love God, you should serve God, and you should give him your all. And why? Why does he deserve our best? That's a good place to start. Why is it that I can stand here and say God deserves our best? Well, he deserves our best because he gives his best. He gives his best. You know, the love of God is so great. We just can't even begin to describe or imagine what it is. You know, what, the thing that we call love, you know, when you say to your partner how much you love them, or when you tell your family or your children or your friends how much you love them, or you say how much you love that piece of chocolate cake, whatever it might be, that love is nothing in comparison to God's love for you and for me. It's nothing, it doesn't even come close. And yet he gives his love to each and every one of us freely. He gives his best. And you know, he gave his best when he sent his son, Jesus, He gave his best when he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus 
Jesus gave his best. I mean, you look just to his, his very first miracle, but he, before he'd even started his ministry, his very first miracle, he turned water into wine. And it wasn't just average wine. It wasn't $3.99 from Lidl wine. This was premium Chateau Neuf de Pape wine. The best of, I mean, that's not even the best wine, but you might. But he gave the best. And Jesus gave his best when he laid down his life for you and for me. When he chose to go to the cross and to die for you and for me, he gave his best. And so I believe we should give our best. And so last week, I mentioned a statistic around the average person and the number of thoughts that we have in a day. And I'd found a study somewhere, no idea how they came up with it, that suggested that between 12 and 60,000 thoughts in a day is what the average person has. But then when it comes to the words that we speak, one study has shown that the average male speaks 7,000 words in a day. The average male speaks 7,000 thousand words in a day and the average female 20,000 words in a day <clears throat> I'm not going to make a comment on that but that is what it suggests but the passage that we're going to look at this morning pulls out the first recorded words spoken by Jesus not his first words we don't know what they were but the first recorded words spoken by Jesus and of all the words that he spoke and of all the words that he spoke, even on that specific day, recorded in the Gospels are just 18. Just 18 words. And so we're going to look at that scripture, and then we're going to look at those words this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41, or it will come up on the screen. <clears throat> it says this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he, that is Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it, supposing him to be in the group. Let's just pause for a minute there. Any parents in the room, if you have ever lost your child in the supermarkets, don't worry. Jesus' parents lost him too. You can feel a little bit of comfort in that. For three days, no less, not just for, you know, two minutes, which might feel like three days. <clears throat> Where are we? Okay. So they supposed him to be in the group, and they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? <clears throat> Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that Jesus spoke to them. And he, he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. He said these 18 words. Why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You know, when it comes to studying the Bible, there's this theological principle known as the law of first mention. And it's argued that the first time something is mentioned in Scripture, it has an extra weight to it, it has an extra importance. Uh, the kind of discussion and argument goes that when something is first mentioned, that it has a greater quality, a greater priority, a greater importance and value. And so these, being the first words recorded about Jesus speaking, they must be of great importance. And so as we look at these words, I'm just going to pull out three points from what Jesus spoke that hopefully will help us to grasp hold of this idea that we should give our best. And the first is this. He said, my father, don't you know I must be in my father's house? My father, even at the age of just 12 years old, there was no doubt in Jesus' mind about his identity, about who his father was. And as I've already said, giving of our best flows out of our relationship. It flows out of a true understanding of our identity in God. He is our father. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. And so what we give and how we give, it comes from knowing who we are and whose we are. When we recognize ourselves as just that, sons and daughters of God, then we are able to give of our best. As Christ followers, we're adopted into God's kingdom. Our spirit becomes one spirit with him. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer orphans. We are sons and daughters of God. And so Jesus was able to declare without any doubt, without hesitation, without question, that God was his father. And we too can have that same assurance. We can have that same assurance as followers of Christ, that God is our father. And the Bible says, doesn't it, That if we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? He is our father and he demonstrates how we should live by giving of his best. You know, as parents in the room, you know that you just want the best for your children. You, don't, you might not be able to afford or stretch to give them the best, but you want them to have the best. You want the best for them in everything. You want them to live the best life. You want them to meet the best friends. You want them to be in the best environment. You just want the best for your children. And so in the same way, as we recognize that God is our Father, we should want to give Him the best, the very best that we have to offer of ourselves. We're able to give our best when we recognize that relationship that we have with God, when we truly grasp hold of the understanding that he is our father. And he has blessed us so much. 
And he continues to bless us so much. And so when we worship him, that is us blessing him. That is us giving to him. Do you know, sometimes we can fall into the trap of, of worship just being words. And we're just kind of going through the motions and we're, we're singing these things out, but we're not really contemplating what the, what the words actually mean. And when we're just going through those motions, when we're just paying him lip service, that is not giving of our best. To give God our best means to truly grasp hold of the words on the screen and the words that are coming out of our mouths and saying, yes, I do worship you. Yes, I do honor you. Yes, I do believe what it is that I'm singing. That is giving our best. And so when we worship him, <clears throat> and in the way in which we live and the way in which we love, that is us pouring out our best to God. And so Jesus grounds himself in his identity as the son of God. But I love how he responds to, to Mary and Joseph to his earthly parents. He says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So I've emphasized the my father bit, but now we're looking at this must be. I must be in my father's house. There is nowhere more important for me to be, Jesus says, than right here in my father's house. I must be here. I must be here. Another translation puts it, I must be about my father's business. I must be. There's an urgency here. There's a real sense of priority in the language that Jesus is using in these words when he says, I must be. And again, this is where the, the law of first mention comes into play because this is the first time Jesus says, I must, but it's certainly not the last time. If you look through the scriptures and you look through the, the Jesus story, he tells his disciples, I must go to Samaria. Now, any of you that know uh, your biblical geography will know that actually Jesus did not need to go through Samaria to get to where he was going. And yet he told his disciples, I must go to Samaria. Why? Because in Samaria, he meets a woman at a well. And he has a conversation with her. And in that conversation, barriers are broken down and prejudices are destroyed. And she then goes and tells her community and a whole group of people are saved because he must go to Samaria. He said to his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was ahead of him when he got there. He knew that going to Jerusalem meant that he would face persecution and torture and death on a cross. And still he prioritized it. I must go to Jerusalem. He said the gospel must be preached. He said we must forgive one another. He said uh, he must do what his father sent him to do. And he said that we must follow him. There is a priority here. There is some importance here. There's some weight here. And so as we review our lives, and I mentioned it last week, that this beginning of the year is a great time for us to just take stock of what happened in the previous year, of the man or the woman that we find ourselves being right now at the beginning of a new year. And maybe what we need to do is just assess 
Our priorities. Are our priorities in place? Have we got the right things in order? Are we seeking first God's kingdom? Are we putting God first when it comes to how we spend our time? Or how we uh, put our efforts? Or how we spend our money? There's that analogy, isn't there, of the philosophy professor who takes a glass vase on his desk and he's got some large rocks and he's got some small stones and he's got a bucket of sand and he talks to his students and he says, can all of this fit in this glass vase? And he begins to put in first the large stones and he says, is it full? And they say, yes, but he says, no. And he takes the smaller stones and he puts them into the vase. Is it full? Yes. And then he gets the sand and he puts that into the vase. And then it becomes full. But if he'd have done that in the wrong order and if he'd have started with the sand, there is no way he would have fit in all of the other objects. We need to have our priorities in order. We need to get the first things first. And so if we want to give God our best, we need to make sure that our priorities are in order. And we've talked about this in church before, about giving God the first of our day, of our week, of our month, and of our year. And just as a reminder, so as we give God the first of our day, that is in our personal devotions. When we spend time one-on-one with God, This year, I've decided to switch my main devotionals from evening to morning because I was not giving God my best. And so now I'm going to do it mainly in the mornings. No more will I be nodding off in bed whilst reading my Bible and praying. That is not my best. And then we give God the first of our week. That's when we gather together in church on a Sunday, when we prioritize being in God's house. There is no greater place to be. When we come together and we worship him corporately and when we hear from his word together, we give God the first of our months through our finances, through our tithes. In Proverbs 3, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. We give God the first and the best of our finances. And then we give God the first of our year as we fast as a church. And so that is what we're doing by fasting for the next 21 days. We're giving God the very beginning of this year. We're not necessarily fasting for something. You know, in scripture, it talks about fasting specifically about things specifically around healing or whatever it may be. But at the beginning of the year, we're not fasting for anything other than to seek God. We're not fasting for anything other than to draw close to him, to show him, I am laying down this new year at your feet. I am giving you 2024. And the truth is that as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. When we prioritize God above everything else, we're sending him a clear message that says, I put you first. You are number one in my life. You are the most important thing. You are my priority. When we give him our first, I believe we give him our best and it honors him. 
it blesses him. Is he not worthy of our first and of our best? Are we getting there? Are we getting hold of this? And then the third thing I want to point out and pull out of this, these words of Jesus is he says, you know, he talks about him grounding himself in his identity as the son of God. But then there's this phrase, he says, being in my father's house or being about my father's business. I mentioned that earlier. This idea of being of the father's house, of the father's business, it's speaking of a higher purpose. It's speaking of something that is much more important. Now, remember, at this point, Jesus was just 12 years old. He'd not preached any sermons. He'd not performed any miracles. From what we can gather, he was probably training under his earthly father as a carpenter at that time. And yet Mary and Joseph find him in the temple. And when they ask him what he's doing, he says, I must be in my father's house. There's an importance to his father's house, to his father's work. Carpentry or whatever skill he was learning is important. And that's a key skill in life. But what he's saying is, my father's house is more important. There's a greater urgency. There's a greater need to me being in my father's house or being about my father's business. There's something more important here. There's a higher purpose. And so the truth is that no matter what you do in the room, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a cleaner or a business owner or a full-time parent or a carer or retail worker, whatever it is that you do, that's not what's important. That is not what's important. You know, in our society today, job titles carry so much weight. When you meet someone for the first time, and I'm guilty of this too, we often say, oh, what do you do for a living? Like that gives them value and purpose. Like that's more important than, you know, tell me about your family or your upbringing or, or are you happy? Job titles carry so much weight and status and authority. But in God's kingdom, it's not about what you do. It's about who you do it for. It's about who you do it for. In Colossians 3, 23, it says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. You don't need to be in full-time ministry to work for the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever that looks like, however you serve, if you do it with the mindset of, in my job, in my role, in my position, in my work, I'm doing it for God, then you are serving him. You're worshipping him and you're giving him your best. You know, I think sometimes we can fall into and we can slip into a pattern of believing that God is happy with us as long as we give him something. As long as we give him something. And, and surely that's right because God loves us so much, doesn't he? God loves us with an unconditional love. But the reality is God's got expectations. God has got expectations of each and every one of us. And as we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I hope and I pray 
that we will make sure our heart and our soul and our mind are in the right place. Because God does not want us to just go through the motions. You know, as, as you think about how you're going to fast, that can look at a whole different ways. You know, maybe you do want to give up uh, a meal of the day. Maybe you want to give up a specific type of food. Maybe for you it would be better to give up uh, social media or Netflix or whatever it might be that you choose to give up. That doesn't really matter. It's, it's, what it, it's, it's the heart behind it. It's your mindset behind it. Because if we say, okay, I'm going to give up my lunch break, but we don't then use that time to seek God, we're just going through the motions. If we say, okay, I'm going to give up chocolate for the next 21 days, but we just replace chocolate with sweets, and we don't actually think about the fact that we're doing this for God, it means nothing. We've got to make sure that our heart and our soul and our mind is in the right place and that we are loving God with every fiber of our being, that we are serving God with everything that we are and that we are fasting with a mindset that says, I want to honor you in this. I want to worship you in this. I want to give you my best at the beginning of this year. He doesn't want us going through the motions. If that's what you're doing, just don't bother. Just don't bother. That's fine. No one's watching you. I'm not going to check up at the end of this month and make sure you've done it. You've got to make sure that your mindset is right because God deserves our best. He deserves our best and he expects our best. And that can be a little bit uncomfortable. God expects our best. Yeah, he does. In Isaiah 58, it talks about the people praying and fasting. And God says to them, you call that a fast? You call that a fast? He follows it. You don't care about the, you don't care about the poor. You might be fasting and you might be praying, but you don't care about the poor. So I'm not going to listen to you. You're just going through the motions. It means nothing. It counts for nothing. If your lifestyle doesn't match what you're thinking about, if you're saying I'm going to pray and fast, but your lifestyle and your mindset isn't in it, it's worthless. In James chapter 1, God says, it's great that you're praying, but if your prayers are filled with doubt, they're worthless. If there's doubt in your prayers, don't expect anything from me. In James chapter 4, it says, if we're praying with wrong motives, then God won't answer our prayers. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that great prayer verse, it challenges us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. But look, there's an expectation here. If we humble ourselves, if we seek his face, if we turn away from sin, then, then he will hear from heaven. He'll forgive us and he'll restore us. And so as we enter these next 21 days of prayer and fasting, we need to remember this truth that God deserves our best. He expects our best. And so let's give him 
our best. Let me end with this this morning. And this is a real challenge, at least I felt it was when I was reading it. In Malachi, it talks about sacrifices and, and God is challenging his people to look at what it is they're bringing to him as an offering. Malachi chapter 1, it says, When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. And when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? God has expectations of what it is that we should bring him. When we decide to spend 21 days praying and fasting, he has expectations about what that period will look like. You can't hide anything from God. He sees when we choose to keep back the best. He chooses when when we he sees sorry when we choose to keep our first fruits the the best the cream of the crop and and give him kind of our leftovers. So when we bring to God this kind of limp and lame three-eyed two-legged no-tailed sheep is he going to look at this thing and say oh what a blessed offering how grateful i am to receive from you this diseased basically dead already animal as an offering to me no he's not pleased with that he's not pleased with that he sees your heart he sees your attitude and so we need to give him our first and we need to give him our best let's talk about finances for a minute let's imagine that this apple is your monthly paycheck And God says we should give him our first and our best. But the money comes into our bank and we think, well, I've got my mortgage to pay. I've got car payments to make. Mobile phone. I probably won't keep eating. I've got food put on the table. I've got that weekly latte I like with my friend. I've got Netflix to sort out. I've got to have all my Netflix, Prime, Disney, Sky. I've got to make sure all those are in place. Let me put this down at the altar. Here you go, God. This is my best for you. Do you think he looks at that and says, oh, look. There's still some apple left on this offering. What a blessed offering this is. How much they must love me. Look, this side looks great. Does he look at that and think, I'm so pleased with what you've brought for me. He's got expectations. And I don't know, maybe we try and justify it with the story of the widow's might. You know, we remember that one, don't we? Jesus was in the temple and he was watching people putting their offerings into the basket. And the the rich man comes in and he puts in this great wealth into the basket. And he maybe lets people know he 
drops his coins in from a high height so they can hear all the money dropping in. And then this lowly, poor widow comes in and she puts in just two coins that are worth almost nothing. And Jesus highlights her and says, look at what she's giving. But don't get caught up with suggesting that her offering and this offering are the same. But she only gave two coins and Jesus was so pleased. The amount doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. The amount that we give of our time, our energy, our resource, our finances, the amount does not matter. But that widow may have only given two coins, but the Bible says she gave everything she had. Everything. The rich man gave a whole load, but he had a full bank account. She gave everything. So it doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much time you invest. It doesn't matter how much you choose to to give up during your fast over the next 21 days. It's the heart behind what you do that makes all the difference. God sees your heart. You can't hide anything from him. He knows your bank balance. He knows where your money is going. He knows where you're investing your time and your energy. He sees it all. And he's not judging you, and I'm not judging you. I'm speaking as much to myself as to everyone in this room. But what we've got to rationalize in our own hearts and in our own spirits is what I'm giving to God my best. Is what I'm giving to God my best? Am I giving of my best when I serve in church in whatever form that looks like? Or am I coming in tired and haggard and just going through the motions? When I'm worshipping in a Sunday morning, am I giving my all? Am I believing what I'm saying? Am I singing with authority and with an understanding that believes those words? Or are we just paying lip service? When I put my tithe into the basket, am I giving my best? Or am I just ticking a box? I'm not going to check up with anyone on any area of this. It's something that each and every one of us needs to get to in our own hearts. We need to recognize and understand and rationalize, am I giving my best? But look at this promise. Look at this promise in Malachi 3. After he said what he said about God being upset and frustrated with the the poor offerings. He says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. This is one of the only times that God says, put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. No more need. When we give God our best... When we give him everything that we've got, when we lay down our lives for him and say, your will be done, he sees that sacrifice. He sees your heart. He knows your motives. And if they are pure, he will bless you. He will bless you far above anything you could ever ask or dream or imagine. So why don't we test him in this? 
Why don't we test him in the way that we live our lives? Why don't we test him in the way that we give of our time and our energy and our resources and our finances? Why don't we test him in this over the next 21 days as we choose to give something up, to lean into him, to seek first his kingdom and see what he will do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you that you love us so much. God, I thank you for for giving us your best. For giving us your best in the way that you love us. For giving us your best in sending your one and only son, Jesus, to die for me so that I might be forgiven. In giving us your best in the way that you bless us in our lives. And God, I pray right now that our response to that would be to give you our best in return. You see, God, when we're holding back. You see those areas in our lives that we're keeping in the shadows and not quite comfortable to let you in. You see when it is that we're, we're not giving of our all or when we're just going through the motions or when we're just paying lip service. You see that, God, and I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would convict each and every person in this room. And God, we would once again uh, ask you for forgiveness in that area. God, that you would forgive us for any time we've ever held anything back from you. And God, right now we commit in this moment to giving you our best. God, right now we commit to giving you our first. And God, as we do that, I pray that it would be a blessing to you. That you would receive it as an offering in the manner in which we give it. That we just want to worship you with our first and with our best. We want to give to you everything that we've got to give. Not expecting anything return. This isn't a quid pro quo conversation or interaction. We just want to give you our best because you deserve nothing less. Nothing less. Amen.